Well, I, uh, I grew up on the shores of uh, the Mississippi River in the great state of Illinois, uh, about 12-hour drive south of here. And the uh, Mississippi River at that point uh, in, uh, in the Midwest takes a sharp turn. It goes from uh, running from up, down from Minnesota down through Illinois and through Iowa and Illinois, and then it takes a sharp turn east, turn east to west. And the only place where the Mississippi River turns east to west, that's, it. that's where I live. I, I grew up, I, 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 um, I started there. And uh, as a kid, we lived um, on this property, which was a sort of a subdivision at that point. It was kind of suburbs, but, but it had been a farm. And we lived in the old farmhouse. And at some point in the last, I don't know, previous 15 to 20 years, the uh, landowner decided to section off the farm and a subdivision came up within it. Um, but here we were in the farmhouse, uh, and there were just a few plots of land left to be developed by, by the time I, I was there. And a great ravine that ran through the, um, the backyard. So we were, as kids, we were always playing down in the ravine, always down in the water, always down amongst the trees and the woods. And then we would... Uh, have grand adventures of this little plot of land. We would go to the empty fields and um, we, would, we would build all sorts of, you know, uh, structures out of, out of um, sticks and wood and we'd have, we, didn't, we, we weren't allowed to burn fires yet, unfortunately. Uh, but we would have this, these great adventures. I just remember spending most of my childhood outside in the woods, in the ravine playing. And uh, in that time, uh, the, the couple lots that were yet to be developed in the land were getting developed. So houses were coming up. And I remember that we were just so upset because this is our, like, this is our playground. And here, now there's this huge hole, this massive hole that a foundation is about to go into. And, and of course, we played down in the foundations. We weren't supposed to. Like, they would chase us out of them. Um, but these grand piles. And I remember uh, right behind my house, there was one, the, the property behind my house, there was a big hill that went up and you used to sled down it or slide down it and, and, and they started building it. I remember um, the, all the dirt that had come out from the, from the uh, foundation was piled up and it was like one summer it was thunderstorming just like it did yesterday over and over again and we got so muddy that, that, that summer. I mean my mom she, she didn't know what, what to do with us because we'd always come just caked with mud and I just had this uh, wonderful childhood in the, in the woods in the, in the bush. Um, and unfortunately, I grew up and <laughs> went off to college and university and um, started studying and spending most of my time indoors reading books. So um, I'm trying to find my way back, trying to find my way back to those days in, in many ways. But uh, I, I tell this story because I am deeply fond of and have a, have a deep affinity uh, towards God's creation, his community. And I've, I've actually done a bunch of study on the, the role of nature in our, our faith and how it, how it works out. And I, I made this picture up because I just, I think it's phenomenal. The, I have outside of my office, I've put up a, a little bird feeder and it's just a little basket and I put some seeds in it. And I've uh, attracted a red-winged blackbird who, um, who comes like, probably more than it should, to eat, my, eat the seeds that I put out there. And it's, it's right next to the window, and it's south-facing, so the sun hits it, so the bird can't tell I'm there. So I can get up real close and check it out. And this bird has the most beautiful two-toned voice. Sometimes it's just this 
call as if it's calling out to something. And the other time, it's got this rumble to it, this, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's beautiful. And um, one of the things that's happened since is it's reminded me how to listen in the life of faith, how important it is to listen to the voice of creation because it's saying something. And, and I've named my friend Spartacus because he chases off the blackbirds. You see him chasing, and I, I think they have a nest over in a tree over the corner of the property closest to Balmoral because you walk close to it and Spartacus gets aggressive, hovers over you and chases you away. I just think, you know, I hope that we have a long friendship. But here's Spartacus or some one of his... One of his uh, his comrades chasing off a heron. And, and one of the things that this reminds me of is, is we don't just listen to the voice, the actual physical voice, but creation speaks. It's speaking without its voice, and it's telling us something. It's always telling us something about the creator. And in this instance, I think Spartacus teaches me a little bit about how the creator uh, is a protector, someone who uh, will, will chase off and ward off um, any, any evil forces in, in our life. And so this summer, this is what we're jumping into, uh, the voice of creation. And here's the ideas. Um, all right, this worked before. Who's texting this? All right, Josh, can you click on the, there we go. All right, now we're good. Uh, so here are, the, here are the ideas that I'm working with this summer. I'm going to kind of, throughout the various weeks, going to tease out these ideas. Here's the first one. If we're going to be deeply Christian people, we must come to revere the creation. This is what I've learned from studying the scriptures, from being a person who loves the outdoors. If we're going to be deeply Christian people, we're going to come to revere the creation. We're going to come to be able to see something in it that's sacred, a sacredness in creation. And we're going to try to learn how to hear its message. And when we hear its message, and when I get to the the sermon on Job, the book of Job, uh, this comes out most clearly. But to hear its message, this is what we're going to do. Learn to hear creation's message and somehow, as we do so, to decrease our prideful attitudes and habits that dominate the community of creation. So we're going to dive into this. And now I I have a few caveats as we go because I know that this may not be true for you, but for some of you, this may be triggering all sorts of thoughts because we, um, as, I, as I believe most deeply, that when we really learn how to hear creation's voice and see it as, as a community, it starts triggering our pride a little bit, our, our sense of, well, aren't we the crown of creation? Aren't we, um, aren't we something more than, and you know, doesn't Jesus say we're worth more than the, the, the birds of the, of the air? Doesn't he say something like that? And it triggers a sense of prideful attitude. And whether, whether you know it or not, whether that's happening to you, this happens to us. These, we, get our, we get our fists up because when we talk about stewarding creation in the way that God wants us to, we come across these themes of, um, of domination and our call to humility. So I say that uh, right away uh, because um, it's just it's going to happen to us. So we're going to run into these things. So when, when I talk about this, I'm not talking about worshiping creation. Uh, the, the Judeo-Christian worldview does not worship the creation. But I am talking about something much more earthy and sacred than we oftentimes experience. Something more than sort of our patterns of domination tend to, to teach us. And I'm not also talking about the end of human survival. 
Okay, hear me, like, we need to eat. <laughs> I think part of the animosity that comes between uh, creation right now and us is that we eat each other. <laughs> that kind of, that's a hard thing to get over. <laughs> we, we eat the creation, the creation eats us uh, in sort of the, the, fallen, the fallen state that the, we're in. But here's the thing, and I'm going to, to dive into this. The problem's not, that's not the problem. The problem is, is that we die. That's the underlying problem here. Uh, and so as we get these visions of re, uh, new creation and what God is after in the, in the everlasting world ahead of us in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, we're going to, I think that the lion's teeth are going to be just as sharp. Alligator's teeth are going to be just as sharp. Uh, but we're not going to die. No one's, we're going to be beyond death at that point. So um, uh, I'm not talking about uh, the end of human survival here. Uh, we, we, can't, we, can't, uh, we can't forget that we're surviving uh, and just give over to, to death. But uh, I am talking about being humbled, somehow humbled in the face of creation and growing a delight inside of us in the freedom of all, of all creatures. Something earthy and sacred. This is St. Francis of Assisi, a picture of a great Christian saint who... Uh, had, who caught this vision, understood what the Creator was asking for us in terms of um, unity and respect and honor of all creation. Someone who's vulnerably reliant on our God. So here's what we need to do. We need to approach creation as uh, rightful sons and daughters of God, but we also need to recognize that the sons and daughters of God go beyond the human race. We are a part of a community of creation. And the best way to get here, to get to this deeply Christian people of God, Jesus follower place when it comes to creation, is that we need to learn to revere it, to revere creation on its own for its, for, for its uh, place in God's community. And the best way to revere it is to learn to hear it. And I think that's the first step for us as we step into perhaps a, a, a better way of, of relating with the creation and the creator is to hear it, to learn how to hear it. And that's where we get into Psalm 19. This is where it all starts out with Psalm 19. And I'm, I'm going to dive into that today. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. The skies are proclaiming the works of his hands. And we'll go into this. And I'm going to, to, to tease some of this out today. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, says that this is probably the greatest of all psalms. In all of, the, of all 150 psalms, this is probably the greatest. And, and we'll see why. So here's what happens. This, um, this psalm is going to talk about two witnesses. Two witnesses that are speaking truth about who God is and God as creator. Uh, creation, on the one hand, is speaking about God's goodness and lordship and God's word, on the other hand. And they live in a harmonious relationship, and they both lead us to understanding the king. So here it is. Here's the beginning. For the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. 
So what are we talking about here? What's the psalmist saying? We're talking about the sky, the sky, the heavens. We, we think, okay, does that mean like the, we go to heaven when we die? No, it's talking about the sky, the sky above us, the clouds, the stars, the sun, its courses. We're talking about the sky, and it's declaring something. It's saying something to us about God, God's glory, his character, his presence. But more than that, more than just proclaiming his glory, when we talk about glory in the, in the Bible, we talk about God's very presence, his His shining presence that sometimes people of God get to see. Uh, the heavens are declaring his presence, that he is here, he's among us, he's close. And the skies, the courses, they're proclaiming that he's, he has hands and he's working here and doing something. But they're not just, not just talking about his presence, they're pouring forth speech about knowledge. They have something to say about God's character and who he is. It's ongoing work. And I think to myself, you know, as you get down to these ideas of their voice goes out into all the earth. I mean, what, what, else, what else could we be talking about than the sky here? Because the sky is everywhere. Um, their voice, the voice of the sky goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Day to day, night after night, they're constantly proclaiming. There's a rhythm here something that they're doing constantly. And I think to me, I love this picture, that until we really feel in this psalm the deep repetition, the earthiness of, of God's creation, until we feel that, until, we, until it hits us in its, in, most, in its most glory, we're just reading words on a piece of paper, until you can feel the setting of the sun and its courses and feel the deep wonder of the darkness of the night, we're not yet into the heart of the psalm here. So day to day, it's calling forth and, and pouring, pouring out knowledge. And, and I love that too. You go back to this. They're, they're pouring forth. It's not just that they're whispering. It's not that they're just saying, you know, here's a few little tidbits. They're pouring forth, constantly speaking about God's creation. And this, this psalm is probably talking about the stars as well. You can't hear a star, can you? you can't, it has no voice. But the psalmist says, listen, it's saying something. Can you hear it? Now, one of the things that is important to discuss in, in, in all of this is something called uh, natural theology, uh, which is to say that we can come to the full knowledge of the creator by observing the creation. And um, the psalmist is going to say, you need something else. You need God's voice speaking, his, his own voice speaking, telling, him, telling you about, about who he is. And that's where we get the Torah and the scriptures, which is coming up next. Uh, so it's, we're not talking about the ability to be able to know fully about God without his, his revelation. But we are talking about another aspect of God's creation Speaking, we can't, we can't get to God alone. Uh, natural theology says that if you just look at the stars enough, you're going to get to God. And we, we, see, we see how that works with the, uh, the Magi. You remember the Magi who came to Jesus? They, were, uh, they didn't have his word. They didn't have God's revealed word to them. But they had the stars. And that was actually almost close enough for them. Uh, they followed the stars, but they didn't make it all the way 
to Bethlehem. They, they, they got to Herod first. The stars took them to Herod. They were on course almost, but just off by a, a degree. And they got to Herod's palace, the wrong destination. But they were pretty close. They got pretty close. And they wouldn't have come to know the, the, the ruler of the world without the stars, following the stars. So we're not talking about natural theology. We need God's, especially as, as the psalm gets into, we need God to, to teach us the errors of our own personal ways. And the, the word does that. The word speaks to us. But uh, we need creation. We need the stars. Um, so we ask the question, if, if creation is speaking to us, if it's saying something profound about God, then well, what is it saying? Do we know? Can we discern? Well, the psalmist goes on and says, okay, it's like this. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing in its course, like someone who's running in the 20-whatever Olympics, like a World Cup soccer player. The sun is rejoicing in his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. So it's like a bridegroom, someone, a bridegroom on his wedding day, coming out finally to meet his bride. And, and if, if you read the scriptures, you recognize that God sees his people as his, as his bride. God, God loves us. God is excited about us. He's ready to come out and to, to, to greet us if we will have him. Um, it's like an Olympian running its course. God is strong and, uh, and rejoicing in, in the work that he's doing. Uh, and nothing is deprived of God's warmth. See, creation is saying something. And in this instance, the psalmist says, look at the sun. Just from looking at the sun and taking it in. No, don't, not directly. But just by looking at the sun and taking the sun and its courses in, we recognize that God is a God who spreads his warmth over many people. And uh, Jesus kind of uh, gets us here as well. Um, Jesus probably loved this psalm. He probably said it and loved it. Uh, but then he, he says it like this. Oh, I forgot. The sun and its courses. There it is. I love this time-lapse photography. Um, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. And Jesus is listening to the earth and seeing the sun. It, nothing is deprived of its warmth. Jesus says, uh, look at the sun. It rises on the evil and the good. And that's like your father. Your father, the father in heaven, whether we like it or not, uh, is giving sun and warmth and rain to our enemies the people who we would call enemies. And, uh, and if, we were, if we stoke our hostility and, and, and take away things from our enemies, we are being unlike the God who we serve. Rather, uh, be like the Son, be like the Heavenly Father who spreads its warmth everywhere. And the point is this, is you, you can get this stuff from the Scriptures, but you don't need to. It's all around us. Uh, and Jesus is telling us, to listen, listen to its voice. So what is, what, how do we pull this together? The sun and its courses, the sun is a bridegroom. God is strong. God is wise. 
He is joyful. He is abundantly merciful. And he loves his enemies and blesses them despite their evil. Do you want to be a person of God? Do you want to be a, a faithful follower of the living God? Listen to the voice of creation. But then the psalmist doesn't end here. And we would really miss the big picture of the, of the psalm if we, if we left it off here as well. Um, uh, the law, says the psalmist, is this other revealing uh, uh, participant in the creation. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect and refreshing to the soul. And, and I'll go on here and, 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 and show us just what the law is, is capable of. Uh, but what we notice here is that the psalmist, it's not very difficult for him to move back and forth. There's no grand statement here. The creation is <clears throat> revealing the knowledge of God. And, and it's like a little pea compared to this giant mountain, which is the law, which is so much better and bigger and... No, it's, there's nothing like that. It's just an easy switch back and forth between these two books, these two things revealing God's nature. So here we go. The law of the Lord is perfect, the psalmist goes on. Um, and it does many things. Listen, God's word is perfect, is trustworthy, is right, is radiant, is pure, is firm, is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. Uh, God's revealed character, revealed word. And when we're talking about the law, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible, which are kind of difficult to read, get through. They're uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And these are the books that bring together the revealed law that God had for his people. When he was setting the Israelites up way many, many thousands of years ago as his people, he was saying, you've come out of slavery in a, the civilization called Egypt. And that, uh, that, that slave master uh, taught you many things and, and, um, and enslaved you. But you're going to come up into a whole new world, a whole new civilization, and it's going to be called the Holy Land. The, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And when you get there, you're going to set up a new society. And when you set up a new society, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. And so um, when we find these laws, they, they cover so many topics like how to do a just law court or how to keep festivals so that your faith can keep growing. Um, passing on faith from one generation to the next, how to worship, how to conduct warfare, how to treat diseases, how to treat family relationships well, how to deal with your money and violence and witchcraft and much more. So the psalmist is thinking about this, this type of, um, this type of uh, law. That, that's the law of God. And it kind of gets summed up in the Ten Commandments pretty well. Um, it doesn't cover all of the laws, but the Ten Commandments really get, get pretty close there. But uh, the psalmist is saying, uh, this, is, this is what that word is like. Because it's God's mind and it's God's idea for how this creation should be run. And if, if we end up drastically opposing these laws or drastically thinking that, that we know better or we're wiser than God's mind in the law, then we haven't yet really listened to it. So God's word is perfect. And here's what it does. It's refreshing. It refreshes us. Go read Leviticus until you're refreshed. <laughs> it's not an easy thing if you don't know, if, if you haven't done that. 
It makes simple people wise. I'm so glad for that. Um, I need that. I, I sometimes become too wise in my own eyes. I need correction. It gives joy to the heart, light to the eyes, warning to the wayward, rewards to the devout. This is all Psalm 19. He's going on to talk about how much, how beautiful it is to dwell upon the law of the Lord. And ultimately the law keeps us from our own errors. It says, in verse 11 says, by the law your servant is warned. In keeping the law there's great reward. Now, um, I don't, don't, don't have enough time here to talk. When, when you're in the Christian faith long enough, you start asking, well, what about Jesus? Didn't Jesus say the law is over? And, and isn't that the old bad way of being, being God's people? And now Jesus, it's, it's not that simple. Uh, Jesus says he's come to perfect the law. Uh, so I'm not going to open Pandora's box at this moment. But if you're interested in that, let me know. We can talk, have a conversation. The, the main point here is this. There's two ways of knowing God. Two pathways of, um, of, with different purposes of knowing God. One is the law, which is, I love this picture because it's got the Hebrew letters of the law written up above the creation. There's two ways to come to know God. And for those of us who trace our ancestry back to European people, we struggle with this because uh, we're thinking Sometimes we, we, our tradition teaches us that to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to God means that this world is somehow going to be burned like trash. Like it's just going to be burned away anyway, so why listen to it? Why, why take care of it? Um, but here's the thing, brothers and sisters. The world's not trash. Any fire imagery in the New Testament about creation is about recycling. It's a recycling imagery that God is going to somehow take what is here on this earth now and take it through a purifying process so that what is evil and, and dis destructive of this creation gets burned away and whatever is beautiful and right and good is left. This, it leads the, the great reformer Martin Luther to say, Jesus is coming, so plant a tree. He knows that the, good, the goodness of this side of creation will last through the purification. So, Scriptures, they're not trash. The world, it's not trash. Um, and we need, to, uh, we need to listen to both to hear the testimony of God. Um, and uh, we're going to explore some of this next week. But the, question then, the questions arise, and if this isn't you, then you're, you're a better human being than I am. But this, is, this does raise all sorts of questions like, like uh, how do we then for live our lifestyle? How do, how, what do we therefore consider as food? Uh, how, do we, how do we go about um, thinking about our energy bills? Uh, things like that get pretty close to home. Uh, how do we know that this, these scriptures aren't just talking metaphorical? How do we know that it's like we just look at creation and get a few messages and then it can go burn? It's just a metaphor, Keith. This isn't, it doesn't, creation really doesn't have a voice. It's, it's just a metaphor. Well, how, and how do we know that Spartacus might have something to say to us about God? Now, I'm going to get into this next week when we get into Romans 8, which talks about the groaning of creation. See, its voice is groaning um, for us to wake up, to be, to, to be awake. Uh, how do we know? I'm going to go to Romans 8 to talk about that a little bit, but then we need to, to spend some time, as I will next week, upon um, other ways of knowing than European ways of knowing. Uh, we'll get into that a bit next week. Um, 
because we have to look back historically a little bit into why white European people land the way we do with our relationship to creation and why cultures all over the world, peoples from all over the world, uh, it's, not, it's a no-brainer that creation has a voice. So we're going to get into that next week a little bit on different ways of knowing. But, but ultimately here it is. Uh, community is a creation, or creation is a community, not a collection of objects. They're a community of, big word, big word, alert, sentient beings. I, te- I like to teach my daughters the word sentient. It's a big word. It means that it can, you can feel pain. So when she, my, my daughter goes, and they know this now, and they, they step on an ant, and they kill an ant, squash it, I come up and I pinch them really hard. I, and they, ow! I say, yeah, that means you're sentient. That, that little creature you just killed is sentient. So... It's a community of sentient beings that feel and, and have pain. And anyone who lives with animals know that it's, they're more than objects. And um, it, really, it really changes everything about our life if we begin to open ourselves up to the, crea- the community of creation. So they have pain. They can feel pain. They have voices, not human, but unheard voices, as the psalmist tells us. And they're revealing something to us if we'll listen. So this summer, learning to hear creation's voice, uh, learning to revere the creation in a way that puts us right back into the right way of being that the God, the creator, wants us to be. And I believe deeply that if we can make progress in this area, if we can move in this way, um, not only do I think that this actually tears down our idolatries, the ways that we can be worship money and all sorts of other things. It, being in right relationship with creation tears down our idols. It frees us in a way that um, very little else does. And I think, I think we, we, can, um, we can grow into being a lot healthier people if we learn to hear creation's voice. So as we go forward, here are some further thoughts. Christianity sees creation as part of God's community, alive, sentient, with a voice. We must come to treat creation with new creation in mind, undoing cultures of death. And we'll do this best by learning to hear the voice. So the rest of the summer, we're going to unpack these thoughts through the scriptures, through various different teachings. Um, but the last thing I want to say today, as I'm looking forward to this, and this is... This hits close to the home of my heart. Um, And I've been wanting to do this for a little while. So here we are. Here we go. To finish off, though, uh, I don't know if if anyone here has heard of the um, man named John Muir. He was a great uh, environmentalist, helped kickstart the um, national park system in in the States. He's, he, he's a Scottish man, and all his books are now, because I think it was the 18, 18, late 1800s, early 1900s he was writing, so all his books are open source. You can find them online for free, Project Gutenberg. Um, uh, and, and he's probably, he's, he's Christian, um, sometimes probably a different type of Christian than I would be, um, but he, he's got the most beautiful language about creation that I know of any, of any white man. And, um, and so I, I download his, all his stuff onto my Kindle. And sometimes at night, I'm, I go into my bedroom and I, I read his stuff out loud with a Scottish accent just to try to get back into sort of his, 
beautiful way of being. Eve's like, are you talking on the phone in there? No. <laughs> um, so just to finish off with a little bit of John Muir, he um, had the eyes to see creation and the ears to hear it in the ways that I'm talking about. And um, he wrote his, he, the first book that he writes is called My First Summer in the Sierras. He, uh, he was a, kind of a scientist, an environmentalist, but he, he uh, figured out a way to work out a deal with the local shepherding companies. What are shepherding companies called? I don't know. Uh, so that he could go and help tend the flock and then cat- catalog what, uh, the nature that he found along the way. And he keeps his journals of his, of his two-month-long trip uh, helping the, the flocks, uh, keeping the flocks that uh, in the summertime in California, uh, bringing them up to the mountains to, so that they can graze all summer and stay alive. Uh, so, so John Muir uh, says this on July 24th. Close to, close, we're close to July 24th. Uh, clouds at noon occupying about half the sky gave a half hour of heavy rain to wash one of the cleanest landscapes in the world. How well it is washed. You see, he's listening, he's watching, he's paying attention. How fresh the woods are and calm after the last films of clouds have been wiped away from the sky. A few minutes ago, every tree was excited, bowing to the roaring storm, waving, swirling, tossing their branches in glorious enthusiasm like worship. He was known to um, climb up into massive fir trees and tie a rope around him and ride the trees with thunderstorms. He's my hero, see why? <laughs> but, he, but it's like worship, he's seeing worship in them. But though to the outer ear, now he's getting at it, Psalm 19, he knows Psalm 19. Though to the outer ear these trees are now silent, their songs never cease. Every hidden cell is throbbing with music and life, every fiber thrilling like harp strings while incense is ever flowing from the balsam bells and leaves. <laughs> my, first, my first little bit here in Thunder Bay, I was like, it always smells like Christmas because the balsam incense is out there. And I love that use of the word incense because that's um, worship language. The incense is ever flowing from the balsam bells and leaves. No wonder the hills and groves were God's first temples. And the more they are cut down and hewn into cathedrals and churches, the further off and dimmer seems the Lord himself. Oh, yeah. So he goes on in, in this little statement. You know, he's, he's going on about um, finding God's presence uh, in, in the voice of creation. And he talks about the shepherd hand, the shepherd who was with him. And he was trying to convince him. He said, um, the shepherd's like, doesn't leave the flock, not looking, his eyes are closed. Uh, about a mile away is Yosemite, the great, beautiful sights of Yosemite. And the shepherd's like, why go there? And John's, John Muir's like, but the waterfalls, you see the, one of the highest waterfalls in the world is the beauty of creation. I'll take care of the flock of sheep. Why don't you take a day and go just look at creation? And this is uh, Shepherd Billy is, is, the guy, is, is his name. Shepherd Billy says, what? He says, is Yosemite but a canyon, a lot of rocks, a hole in the ground, a place dangerous about falling into, a right good place to keep away from. That was Shepherd Billy's perspective. And John Muir's like, look around you. Look what is there. And Shepherd Billy says, well, John Muir said, 
of the waterfall as high as a five-story building, a wall so high. And if you look over it, you're going to see something, see the creator in it. And Shepherd Billy says, I should be afraid to look over so high a wall. He said, it would make my head swim. There is nothing worth seeing anywhere, only rocks. And I see plenty of them here where I'm at. Tourists that spend their money to see rocks and falls are fools. That's all. You can't humbug me. I've been in this country too long for that. And John Muir says about this, such souls, I suppose, are asleep or smothered and befogged beneath mean pleasures and cares. And I think that's us many times. Uh, as we go about our life in the, the bush, near the bush, near some of these great things in our own place of the world in Thunder Bay. So this summer, my hope is, is that we can be a little more open to the voice of creation around us as we're out and about and enjoying it. Um, so here's a few practical advices. I'm going to give some more of these as we go along. Spend some time this summer under the stars. Find your way there. And when you get there and you're all alone and you've come out of your hectic day and you're going, I hear nothing. Take a moment. Um, you can't force yourself to hear the, the, the voice of creation. It can come to you if you open yourself to it and allow uh, its message. But spend some time under the stars. Spend some time, like not just taking a good look, but delighting, dwelling in it. I bet you can find one night this summer to spend an hour just looking at the stars. Do some field work. Go out, take a journal with you, uh, and uh, for a day, take notes of every little thing you see, whether it's a plant or an animal or a part of creation. Do some field work and uh, take in creation. Track a deer. We used to do this back in, in the bluffs of the Mississippi River. It took us you know, two or three hours as a group of young Boy Scouts, we, we track down a deer in order to just watch it. It doesn't have to be hunting season to track a deer. Um, you can sit in my office, the deer come around every day, it's not, not as fun, but if you don't have time to track a deer, just come over to the church for a while and do some gardening out in the new community garden. Um, while fishing, ask what the fish's life is saying to you. I'm going to go fishing this summer, people. I'm scared of touching fish. I don't like it. They make me, they take me back to like a six-year-old. Um, I'm going to conquer that this summer. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to learn how to fillet fish. And I'm going to, um, it's a covenant with you all. I'm going to do it. Uh, but I'm also going to be asking questions like, what is this life saying to me? These are some little practical advices. Uh, from the creator in his, his creation, um, he's not dull and drab. He's created something so beautiful and immense and intricate and powerful. And if we would just look at the colors and look at the shapes and look at it all, uh, I believe that we could, we'd be a little bit healthier humans and better Christians for it. So I'm not sure what, uh, how this hits you. I'm sure it hits everyone in lots of different ways. That's okay if, it's, uh, if you're hating this. It's just a summer long, just a few more, four or five weeks. If you're loving this, there's more to come. Uh, if you're confused or challenged or have questions, that's okay too. Um, but the scriptures teach us to worship the creator 
the creator God. And part of that is uh, learning to look at what he's done. And so I invite you, whatever it is that God has spoken to you and whatever he said to you today, I invite you to this table. Uh, we take a piece of bread, which was once wheat and ground and put together with water. We take a piece of bread and we take some juice, which was once grapes, pressed and added with glucose, fructose or whatever. <laughs> Creations among us. We take the bread and we dip it in the juice to remind us that Jesus, who was with God when he created it all, is here, is with us, and is calling us close to him. We are his children. We are the apple of his eye. We are the sheep of his pasture. And he loves you. So friends, uh, the table is set and everyone here is welcome.